When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hi, this is Billie Jean King. This is Marion Bartoli. I'm Mats Villander. This is Mary Carrillo. I'm Stan Wawrinka. I'm Leighton Hewitt. This is Yannick Noah. Bonjour. Ici Bertrand Sesvet from Montreal, and you are listening to the Tennis Podcast. I don't want to do any disrespect to any of our other intros, but I, I kind of feel like Bertrand is the the coolest yet with that with that bit of French, Catherine. I mean, I know you and Matt are both fluent French speakers. I'm not, but I just think that is so cool. Yes, Quebec was French, no less, which um, is a beautiful form of the language, but one I find very challenging. I have a few times been caught out on on trips to Montreal, which is one of my very favourite cities, by sort of being very gung-ho about being a French speaker. Like, yeah, I'm going to nail this trip and uh, fit in seamlessly, bust out my French at the first possible opportunity. And uh, they understand me, which is lovely. And then they speak back to me and my face goes completely blank and drains of all colour. <laughs> and I realise my mouth has written checks that my brain can't cash <laughs> because uh, Quebecois French is it's quite different. It's quite different. For example, Cézve is different is the Bertrand's surname there says I think in in um, mainland France that would be CV you wouldn't pronounce the s oh mm. it's one mm. of life's lowest moments then isn't it when you yes. when you're thinking you can speak a language and yes. you're proven very much wrong about that yes Imagine it's how I feel. I can't see <laughs> truly, truly humiliating. Well, at least you're fluent in Topkin, Catherine. So, well done. Huh? You don't even you've you've just quoted oh, Topkin yes. and you don't even know. <laughs> yes, I have. It. Yes, thank right. you. Sorry. Okay. All right. Well, hello Betron <laughs> and everybody else uh, listening to the tennis podcast. Thank you all for your company. Uh we've had a crack in a couple of weeks uh, watching Miami and watching Catherine present it and recording podcasts about it. I I have I've loved Miami. I think it's been great. I know Matt was whinging on about the length of it, but I've loved every minute of it. Um, and we've also got a mascot for this week, which we'll uh, we'll get to know a little bit later. Clancy. Tell you more about Clancy later. Absolutely belting mascot. Yeah, and, and from Seahawks Town, uh, Seattle. So uh, lots to look forward to in this podcast. Uh, but first of all, let's get straight into talking about what went on on the court because we have had. Just storyline after storyline, and then probably a couple of finals not going quite as we would have expected, or certainly as I would have done. Um, So we ended up with uh, Bianca Andreescu up against Ash Barty in the final, and 
I mean, Barty has had this incredible run, hasn't she, throughout this tournament? I mean, really stiff opposition, and yet she could have been out on day one. She had match point against her against uh, Kachova. And I think right back then, there were a number of players, Catherine, that were match point down or behind or a set down and just felt that one of those, one of those players that was struggling early on who managed to come through would be a significant factor. But she, this this feels like a big deal to, for her, to me, that she started off what is going to be this long old run of this year away from home with a win and uh, and really didn't put a foot wrong from that first round. Yeah, she surprised me with how good she was, actually. And I don't think it's... I don't think it's an accident that so many of the players that featured in the latter stages had come back from the brink of defeat at some stage throughout throughout the week. Um, I mean, Maria Sakkari, without question, I mean, she said it herself, those six match points she saved against Pagula were a massive factor in her defeat of Naomi Osaka and almost defeat of of Bianca Andreescu. Um, Yeah, I do think... do think it changes your psychology in a couple of ways. Obviously, it builds your confidence massively. You must start to feel just completely bulletproof. Um, But I think also, if you've already been through this sort of psychological process of sort of thinking yourself on the plane, then it's kind of all a bonus from that point. Maybe the pressure pressure you put on yourself is somewhat alleviated. You've already reckoned with the worst case scenario. Um, So I found that that interesting. Um, but yeah, Ash Barty, I, I wasn't expecting her to defend, defend that title. I, I really wasn't, not with the quality of the field. I, I had my doubts about her after that, um, Mukova performance at the Australian Open. I found that quite alarming from her, given, given what form she'd seemed to come to, into the event in, winning the warm up event, whose name, I should have just said the warm-up event. Don't go down the cul-de-sac, <laughs> Catherine. The warm-up event. Um, and, of course, coming in completely fresh. But on the other side of the completely fresh coin is the kind of completely non-match tight coin. Um, and she played herself into match tightness, didn't she, throughout the course of um, this tournament. And she... She was kind of adapting her game as she went along. The amount she was using her slice backhand was changing over the course of the tournament. And and the forehand, she played that forehand really into form. It was such a huge weapon um, in her last couple of matches. Svitolina and and Andreescu, obviously, given how that one ended, difficult to know how much to read into it. Um, More of that in a moment. But, But yeah, she started off mostly slicing the backhand. And I always think of her backhand slice is a choice she elects to play that shot over the topspin because it's such a good shot and it bamboozles um so many opponents but i i wonder if actually there's a hint of um confidence as a factor as well she she is less likely to hit over the backhand if she's just a bit tentative um and i i think that's probably backed up by the fact that as the tournament went on she did start electing to use the slice as, as a tactical shot to throw in rather than defaulting to the slice. Um, the conditions obviously suit her brilliantly. She's got that kick serve, which they obviously just teach in Australia. <laughs> I think at some developmental stage of all tennis players, they just need to go and spend a few months in Australia 
and learn the kick serve. Because... I'd love to learn how to do that. Sam Stosa, yeah. Pat Rafter, you're right. I mean, they're bounding overheads, aren't they, those kick serves? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's amazing, isn't it, how these sort of national shots... I don't, what would the British national shot be? Mm, no, maybe the volley. Maybe, mm. maybe a lovely. No, Matt's. Matt, <laughs> Matt did a really disapproving face at that. <laughs> anyway, Ash Barty was very, do, very good. Do you and, remember when when Andy Murray didn't he complain that we don't have a national identity to to our game over here? At one point, and he, and he I, said, "It's I not like the Americans nation- who, are, who have a big forehand and good on hard That's true. Calls. I would say, I would say our national identity is like really classic strokes, like a closed stance forehand with with maybe too big a backswing. You're just describing me now, aren't you, <laughs> um, <laughs> Matt? There was um, there's a lot of reasons to feel a little bit disappointed that. Ash Barty against Bianca Andreescu ended a set to love and four love retired. Obviously, Andreescu twisting her ankle, unable to finish the match. It's a terrible shame. But it's you could tell that she was gutted as in that she was unable to carry on the match and f- put her wits up against Barty. And I think that that's how, how I feel about it. More than anything else, is just to see these two game styles going against each other because you don't see much of that. Yeah, those two game styles and those two personalities as well. That that was part of what was really interesting me about watching them go up against each other because Andrescu is so outwardly confident and she will let you know how she's feeling on the court. And you, I think that's why she connects with, with viewers because you sort of go along with her and... Barty, on the other hand, is calmer and doesn't shout about her greatness. And I think that would have been an interesting clash to watch those two come up against each other. And I was really expecting it to be three sets. Andre Rublev seems to have coined the term drama matches, saying I, I play a lot of drama matches. And that perfectly describes what Andrescu plays. She played four three setters in a row to get to the final. You think you're playing drama matches, Andre. Yeah. Check this out. <laughs> <laughs> and there was just no way in my mind that if Andrescu was fully at the races in that final, that it wouldn't have been another really close match. Um, I think she was not at her sharpest even before she got injured. I think the, the tennis that she played all week had caught up with her. And Ash Barty was, on the other hand, too sharp for her. And she was exploiting all those little gaps in Andrescu's game on on Saturday and it, it was never a particularly close contest other than sort of midway through the first set when when Andrescu did break back um so yeah it was a real shame but I'm sure they will play again soon because Andrescu fancies herself on clay she, she said that didn't she she said yeah I'm really good on clay she, she <laughs> sort of says oh yeah yeah I I I love playing on clay uh, and, and I did think oh Right, she's up so for the, good. And actually, her press conference was, I think it was quite important that she got into some optimistic territory because she started off tearful and really hurting over that that withdrawal. And the the process she's clearly had to go through in her own mind, probably taught to her by her, her coaching team, that sometimes you just have to pull the plug. And she was saying that 
that's not what I wanted to do. I did not want to pull out of that match, but my trainer was telling me you you should because and I, and I, and I'm glad I did. And she was talking with pride about it, about feeling that you know I'm actually quite happy that I managed to make myself do that. Um, and then as the press conference went along, she talked about her trip to Australia as just building blocks really that she had nothing really when she went into that event and now she feels as though there's a there's a foundation to her game and she's in a completely different place already um and looking forward really she she said she worked incredibly hard in the off season because she wants it she i think the appetite is just insatiable within her to to get amongst it quite honestly it's hard to believe she's only 20 i i it passed me by that this is a woman that is only just 20. Yeah, she's played um, fewer than 200 tour-level matches, a lot fewer, in fact, I think, um, between somewhere between 150 and, and 200. Um, I do wonder, she actually wasn't asked about this in her press conference. I think I believe it was a foot injury. Stephanie, Stephanie Miles, the Canadian uh, journalist, was reporting that it was a foot injury, despite the fact that um, people assumed it was an ankle injury because it looked like she went over on her her ankle um, in that second set. I do just wonder if she carried it onto the court um, because she was flat. She was flat mm. right from the get-go. And I know people can be, I know finals put different stresses and strains on, on people emotionally than they can take people out of character. But Bianca Andrescu in flat for a final. Yeah doesn't sound right to me it seems like there had to have been something else at play even if it was just a niggle I mean she did have a bit of strapping on it didn't she when the when the trainer came out after the stumble to re-strap her foot very heavily um, there was already something on there and I know that because the something on there was flesh coloured um, but a slightly uh, lighter tone than her actual flesh. And I originally thought it was just like the the most severe defined sock mark there had ever been. I thought she must be wearing the same pair of socks every single day of her life to get that defined a tan line. But no, it was it was strapping. Well, that wasn't my best anecdote, was it? <laughs> it's, been, it's been a long couple of weeks. <laughs> She did do one of my favourite things of the, let's call it the COVID era of tennis in her post-match speech, where she thanked the lying judges at an event with, <laughs> without lying judges. I love it when, <laughs> when players do that. Who is going to be the first player to thank electronic line calling? <laughs> <laughs> and who's going to be the first person to just grab the mic and say, there aren't any lying yeah. judges? <laughs> <laughs> she also said a lovely she said you know i'm i'm really struggling right now and i have been really struggling for large parts of the last year um and if you're really struggling out there then just be more like me <laughs> was the message <laughs> and uh, and i loved it <laughs> <laughs> yeah there were lots of profound things she said as well as as well as funny things um in terms of ash barty this feels big to me i think there've been times in the last 18 months or so where we've not seen her, where she's not felt like the world number one. And there have been very legitimate reasons for that because she's not been playing and because during her absence, Naomi Osaka has won two slams. But personally, I've never questioned her right to be number one. 
I think some people have, and I think she was aware of that. It sounded like that to me in her press conference, where she said, "Well, you know, I think I was a deserving number one. I still, I still had Miami points. I still had WTA finals points. I was the defending Roland Garros champion." And it just felt like, she, in her own way, she sent a little statement this week. It, it, it was nothing grand. She didn't actively go out of her way to say, "Told you so," but she just let her tennis do the talking and that that is kind of her style. I think she's very good at playing the mental game without seeming like she's playing the mental game at all or even intending to play the mental game. I think as she's as much sort of performing tricks on herself mentally as she is with us, you know, saying, "Look, rankings aren't what make me happy." You know, she, she kind of said, "I I I could care less about the ranking." And I do believe that she cares less than others might and focuses on it less than others might but how can you be best in the world at something and not care about that i mean it's a, it's a marker of your success and it's if you're striving for success it? it's absolutely a deflection i also think um her saying i i'm counting down the days to the grass court season as she did uh, yesterday um in some in some quotes i saw that's a deflection as well about the pressure she's going to be experiencing coming into coming into Roland Garros, which we're, we're sort of going to have two defending champions, aren't we? Mm. Um, yeah, and, she, and of course, the French Open. this is the tournament that prepared her for what would be that incredible run to the title mm. around Garros two years ago. Exactly. So while, while I believe that she's really looking forward to the grass and she must feel like she's underperformed at Wimbledon before and this is a, you know, big year for her on the grass to make that statement there it's also a deflection mm. um, and I think that's very clever just a small note as well on Andrescu's match against Maria Sakkari the night before a couple of nights before again just reasons to just feel incredibly uplifted about what the WTA tour looks like right now wherever you turn you've got stuff to get your teeth into and players to follow and players to believe in and, and be interested in. Um, and fantastic tournament by Sakari who could very easily have gone on and won that, that tournament herself, the way she was playing. So um, she may well have um, big results ahead this year. Um, the, the men's final that followed the next day was a bit of a surprise, really, in terms of the lineup of, of Hubert Hercac against Yannick Sinner. Sinner less so, perhaps, because so much hype has been around him as a 19-year-old. But there was a question you asked after the final, which Hercac won, um, to your pundits, Greg Rozetsky and Daniela Hantikova, of, is he better than you thought he was? And I would have to say, I mean, and that, they said they said no. They said they'd, they'd had experience of him close up in Indian Wells, where they'd really kind of take, been taken aback by how talented he is. And if 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 the thing to be surprised about is anything, it is that he hasn't delivered yet until this point. I would have said, here's a, a really really good player, but I didn't know he had this in him. I mean, Matt, what what were the um, the players he knocked off to, to win this title because they were pretty extreme, weren't they? Yes, they'd be Shapovalov, Raonic, Tsitsipas, Rublev, Sinner consecutively. And I think he might also have beaten Denis Kudla. So that that, that is... <laughs> that was a bit of a burn, wasn't it? <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, that, that is a who's who of players that have been 
really talked up a lot more than Hubert Hercatch. And my answer to that question of am I surprised by this would be a hundred percent yes. I think I think I probably had him down in my mind as someone who would go on to have a career, I don't know, a bit like Philip Kohlschreiber, maybe slightly better. You know, lots of lots of titles at 250 level, possibly a 500, an occasional run in a slam, talented player, nice to watch, but lacking something. But he he showed a quality of tennis that I didn't realise he, he had in him this week. The, the, I always thought his forehand was quite an awkward uncomfortable shot that could be exploited but he was really attacking with it and I know lots of your pundits Catherine were picking up on his movement and that really stands out because he's not just a good mover for six foot four or six foot five or whatever he is he is a good mover the way he soaks up pressure and covers the court is impressive and I think that movement combined with the skills he's got and the points he can win on his serve does does make him a, a more dangerous package than I'd realised. I interpreted a, a lot of the answers to that question about whether he's better than um, better than we realised as tennis-wise, no. We always knew, or certainly for the last couple of years since that run at Indian Wells, we've known how good his skills are tennis-wise. I think people have doubted whether he's had the mentality to achieve. I mean, Daniela always says that, you know, if you if you can put success down to one thing, which obviously you can't, there's so many things that go into it. But if there's one thing you you can't achieve great success without, it is a strong mentality, belief. Um, it's it's outlook. Um, and I, I, I question whether he's had that. And I know Tim Henman questioned whether he had that. He spent some time with him at ATP Cup, um, at the start of last year and was was very impressed with him. I think he was on the practice court with him, was very impressed with the skills, but doubted whether he had the personality type to really impose himself on on big tennis matches. Um, I do think, I, I think there has been a shift in that regard. Matt, you, you dug out in your notes some really interesting quotes from um, former Polish player Wojciech Feedback. Um, about her catch. First of all, saying just what a big deal his run was in is in Poland, and that was before he won the final. Feedback said he was getting a hundred calls a day from people wanting to speak about her catch, um, and uh, he used a lovely turn of phrase, didn't he? He said the whole of Poland is living this adventure with him, which is just so nice. Um, and Feedback also said that that he had always seen this potential in Hercat. She said when he saw Sviontek achieving what she did at the French Open last year, in the back of his mind, he was thinking Hubie can do the same. But he also gave him a bit of a nudge, it sounds like. He he said, look, I'm not officially involved with him, but we are in touch a lot. And, and I have sort of been trying to build up his confidence and encourage him to be more aggressive. So I do think he has had a mental shift Without question, I also think it's helped him. It helped him that in those last three matches of the, of the tournament, he was playing the top seed left in. I mean, which which amplifies what great results they were um, against Sitsipas, Rublev and Sinner. Um, but I, I think it helped him that he was the heavy underdog in all three of those. And and I think it casts question marks over particularly Sitsipas and Rublev that they didn't cope well at all with being 
the top seeds remaining and the heavy favourites in those matches. And look, Sin is 19, a um, lot less experience. I cut him more slack for that. But I certainly think that for his first final of that level, he would have preferred not to be the uh, the, the heavy favourite. And Daniela was fascinating on that in the studio. She said, she said for her first title at Indian Wells, she was so pleased to be playing Martina Hingis, who was the top seed in world number one at the time. Um, because nobody was expecting her to win. And she said, had she been expected to win, she probably wouldn't have coped with it. And she was the exact same age as Yannick Sinner at 19. But I do think, you know, those Sitsipas and Rublev wins, very impressive for her catch, but a slight worry for, for those two. Mm. Certainly think we'll come on to talk about Rublev. Just another point on her catch, which jumped out at me, is the fact he's unbeaten in Florida this season. He won Delray Beach at the start of the year and he won Miami. Obviously, great results. But I do wonder how much of this success is down to the fact that he's really comfortable in those conditions. All the all the pundits who talk about Miami mention that conditions are different there. It's windy, it's humid, and the ball bounces high. And Hercatch, I know, has Craig Boynton as his, as his coach, and he trains a lot in Miami. He's very used to those conditions. And perhaps there is a, a type of player who thrives in those conditions, and maybe Hercatch will be one of those. That, that, that's not to say he can't transfer some of this success elsewhere, but I do sort of wonder if it was a just a perfect combination of everything kind of coming together, having having less pressure on him in those matches and improved mentality that he's clearly worked on and the conditions suiting him. And and perhaps perhaps he played slightly above the level that we can expect from him, but certainly something that he is capable of. I don't know. A South Florida specialist. <laughs> Thing is, though, there's no, category. no reason why that shouldn't be transferable to the US Open, I don't feel. No, mm-hmm. it, it certainly could be, but I do, but I do think Matt makes a a strong point there mm, about sure. the, but about Miami being really quite quite unique. I think it's that high bounce, the sort of stickiness of of the court. Um, yeah, for sure he can, but yeah, that unique unique combination of um, of conditions isn't for everyone. I, I, don't d- think. I um, I think it, the, there's no reason to be negative about Yannick Sinner's defeat in that final the sheer fact that he reached the final I think at 19 years of age is an incredible feat in itself and it must we mustn't get lost in the fact that he was the favorite and didn't win at the same time he didn't win so I think it bears some examination and uh, there was a a really, really interesting interview with his coach Ricardo Piatti on Catherine's Prime Video coverage, and uh, and Catherine and, and Greg Rosetsky and Daniela Hantikova interviewing Piatti about Sinner. And one line just jumped out at me when the sort of realism with which Piatti is forming Sinner as a as a competitor and as an athlete, he said he will not be a proper tour pro on the ATP tour. He won't understand the ATP tour until he's played at least 150 matches on it. He, he actually said the next gen finals, you know, he won a couple of years ago. That was, that was kind of an exhibition really that, that I don't really t- pay too much attention to that. That's not like winning uh, challenges or playing the first round or playing qualies or anything like this. He hasn't even played a Wimbledon yet. He said, 
And I, and it made me think, well, I wonder how many matches Sinner has actually played because he feels like this ever present on the tour for the last couple of years to me now because we just because he he's one of these that doesn't lose first round very often so you're often talking about him and he's only played 69 matches in his career um so he's not even halfway to what piatti regards as a a kind of maturity level a, a little threshold to to get beyond and yet the way Sinner carries himself is professional already for the most part that's why it was slightly surprising to me that he he wilted a little bit in this match. But, I mean, how much of that do you think was physical? Because he did look a bit fatigued out there. And I, I incidentally, I, was, I saw for the first time in that match, I think particularly on match point, the reason that people compare Hercatch to Murray, I felt like he was pulling errors out of Sinner just by mm. sitting back a bit, looping a few, slicing a few, blasting a few, using good movement to soak it all up. And exploiting a bit of Sinner's inexperience because, you know, her catch was so clearly feeling the nerves so tight at that point and you've just got to make the guy play. Um, and and Sinner, you know, he was coaxed into pulling the trigger, wasn't he? Uh, it was very smart from, from her catch and just a tiny bit of... Very understandable inexperience from from Yannick Sinner. I um, look. I d- the fact that he lost that final does not change remotely my feelings about what he. I think he's likely to achieve in his career. Um, I it just maybe <laughs> is a reminder that it it won't. You know, it's it's not going to be metronomic winning of titles quite yet. Um, which, you know, see last week's podcast makes things a bit more interesting, I think. Um, yes, he did look a bit heavy-legged, but n- nerves do that to you. I think that is one of the ways that nerves and and tension manifest. Um, Tim Hemman said that in the warm-up of a big match or final, he would always be looking at his opponent's footwork. Because if their footwork looks a bit lazy, it's a sign of it's a sign of tension. Um, so I do wonder if it's that, but, um, yeah, who knows? Look, he's, he's going to be just fine. Um, but I quite enjoyed a, a reminder that he's, he's human. Um, because I'd, yeah, I'd, I'd filed in him away as, uh, Alexander Bublik had in the slightly, uh, <laughs> inhuman, just gonna start winning everything age 19. Uh, so, yeah. And, um, uh, it's not that easy. <laughs> What I find really impressive about Sinner is that he seems to understand this idea that it is a process. He doesn't feel like he's in a big hurry to me. He seems to be balancing his innate desire to want to win, and he's not he's not satisfied with losing that final in the way he did against Hercatch. But also, there's a equilibrium to him, and he's he's sort of un, unflustered about losing i think he understands that it's a step in the process that this that he's made in these last two weeks he really buys into everything piatti's telling him i think and there are it's some very, it's that, very anti-sitsapass energy <laughs> <laughs> yes i was just gonna say there are some young players <laughs> who who feel like they're in a hurry a little bit and that's that's quite endearing but I, I don't know whether it's necessarily the best the best approach. Sinner seems to have a perspective on it that 
other players perhaps don't, while not losing any of that hunger. I think Piatti's a big part of that, actually. Daniela was, was talking about how good he is at protecting his players and she compared him to to Peter Lundgren in the early Federer days when he was sort of promising a lot and being seen to not quite deliver. Um, David, you, you reminded me that Federer reached the final in Miami in 2002, lost to Agassi in four sets back when it was a best of five set final and, and questions were being asked about Federer. Mm. Um, and... Daniela was saying that at that time, Peter Lundgren did this amazing job of just protecting him and just telling everyone, uh, if you've got questions about Roger, you come to me and I will tell you that without question, none of these results change remotely what I think he will achieve. The, these will be footnotes in a matter of time. I just can't tell you exactly what that what, what that time frame is. Um, and I think Piatti has the same kind of kind of attitude um, mm. and way of kind of protecting Sinner from any question marks that will inevitably be thrown at him. Why isn't it happening yet? Yeah. He's, um, he's because building, he's 19. He's building an adult on the tour. Um, mm. And uh, it's it's fascinating. And um, we, we should perhaps just um, get the, the update on Sinner's kitchen status uh, before we, we stop talking about him. Well, I think it's unchanged, isn't it? Well, he's he got, already he, up to peeling potatoes. Yeah, I know, but we last time we spoke, I don't think we got that far. Did um, we not? No, I don't think so. Okay, um, he's peeling potatoes. Yeah, he he he. After he reached the Miami Open final, um, he says, "If you're peeling potatoes, it doesn't mean you can't cook. It means you still have a lot of recipes to learn. How to set up your plates? It will come, but not now." It's it's far too mature. It's intimidatingly <laughs> mature. <laughs> I'm making cupcakes with my kids after this, so um, uh, I don't know where that leaves me. But anyway, I, I, what you say about the maturity and the equilibrium, equilibrium, this is probably unfair because it's a very extreme example that we saw um, in that quarterfinal. But the contrast was it semi-final? Yeah, quarterfinal. The contrast with what we saw from Sitsipas against Hercatch, which was, in his own words, a self-explosion and a very very teenage-like self-explosion directed towards his father, who is, of course, also his coach, um, was a bit... It was a bit alarming. I suppose a bit alarming because it's something that we've seen before and you're sort of expecting him to have progressed a bit and it felt like a regression. Um, I don't Different know. Maybe character. it's probably an unfair comparison, but um, mm. it it was it was a stark contrast. The, the one that interests me perhaps more is is Rublev because this was his title to win. The way things were going, this was the natural next step in his evolution. He's won all these ATP 500 events. Next on the block, an ATP 1000. No big three there. Um, team out. Sitsipas gone. He's the highest remaining player. He plays against Hercatch. And he didn't really get a sniff in that match, did he? What what went wrong in that match for Rublev? Well, I think Hercatch played extremely well. Is probably the first thing to say. But I was I was really surprised by that result. I thought Rublev would go on to win that title with the players remaining in the draw because that's his thing: beating players he's supposed to beat. He's not lost to someone ranked outside the top fifty. I think since. Montreal 2019. If, if, if matches are there to be won, Rublev wins them. 
So I think this is probably his most alarming loss yet. I, I think it's been easy to explain away his his losses in slams. He's come up against players whose whose ceiling is a bit higher, who have a bit more in their game, who are better than him. Can he reach that level is kind of the questions we've been left with. But this was different. This was someone he has... Okay, he'd lost their previous match, but, you know, kind of on paper, that's a match Rublev probably should be winning. And it seems to me, and David, I think you said this, that Rublev plays with the same intensity week in, week out. That's from every point, every match, every tournament is the same intensity. And that is incredibly impressive and admirable in many ways. And it's got him to where he is, I think. But we saw Hercatch this week raise his level when it mattered most. And I'm beginning to question whether Rublev can do that. I haven't seen it. Is the Rublev we see week in, week out the best Rublev possible? I've not seen Rublev peak at a big tournament anywhere. He's played incredibly well, but at his foot to the floor level. It's like he's always and- peaking. Yes, and um, we, we, we were talking about whether there's the comparisons to Nadal, who's the other player who seems to be full on all the time, but he has injections. Even within all of that intensity, he has a, a sense of the moment mm. and an ability to, to find another gear when he needs it and to just put you, put you in his slipstream. Rublev just doesn't seem to be that sort of vehicle, just doesn't have that, that injection. At the moment, maybe it'll it'll come. I I, I doubt it. I, I'm Do, not sure. Does he need other dimensions to his game to to have that? Is is the issue that he's got one way to win, and the only way to make that effective is to be foot foot to the floor? I, I don't think it's a question of variety. Personally, I, I think he needs to have extra on his strokes when it absolutely matters to just take over. Um, Really, I because I, I think it's unlikely that he will develop that much more to his game in terms of its repertoire. I think what he's doing by improving his game is raising his floor rather than raising his ceiling. If that makes sense, he what he's done over the last eighteen months is is just that he's he's not putting in bad performances, but he's also not putting in those absolutely standout performances against the best players when it really matters in quarterfinals and semifinals of the biggest tournaments. Could easily be a Svitolina. Mm. And, and I don't mean to say that as a, as, a, as a big criticism. She's had a fantastic career, but she hasn't had the career that maybe she would have wanted it to have the highlights to. And maybe she still will. But at the moment, there are certain players that have done less overall but have had high points that she hasn't had. And he may end up like that. Because this, this tournament on the men's side was a, was a glimpse into the future, wasn't it? It was, it was into a world in three, four years' time, however long it is, when all of the big three are no longer playing. And it felt like an opportunity for everyone. And I think I've probably assumed, a lot of people have probably assumed that Rublev, given his consistency, will step into that void and win big titles when the big three have gone. And look, maybe he will, but this was a sign that also maybe he won't. be interesting finding out because he's going to keep coming, isn't he? That's what I like mm. about him. He's got a fantastic work ethic, appetite for it. 
This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello, Tennis Podcast listeners. David here. Now, you might know that I love a bit of cooking, and I think I'm quite good at it. But if I'm honest, even I get fed up trying to work out what to do every night. That's where Home Chef comes in being able to put together a delicious meal without the long prep and the cook times, well, that's pretty cool. Home Chef provides fresh ingredients and chef-designed recipes conveniently delivered to your doorstep to simplify your cooking experience. They have over 30 options a week and serve a variety of dietary needs, so you don't have to worry about what to make ahead of time. Not only is it convenient, but it's economical too. Home Chef customers save an average of $86 per month on groceries. Now, for a limited time, Home Chef is offering tennis podcast listeners 18 free meals plus free dessert for life and, of course, free shipping on your very first box. Go to homechef.com slash tennis. That's homechef.com slash tennis for 18 free meals and free dessert for life. You heard it right. Anything else on the singles before we move to doubles? Well, I was, I was just going to say, was that you trying to lead us into uh, Gem's Life chat, subtly? Uh, well, it wasn't actually, but uh, you can drop that in if you like. <laughs> What's happened latest? Are they so together or are they apart? Very hard to keep up with. Very I, I mean, together, I, David. Very, very together. I mean, I okay. hope this isn't out of date by Thursday, because that would be <laughs> desperately sad, but who knows? Um, they are engaged. They yeah. are betrothed to be married. This is Gail Monfils and Alina Svitolina, who have, I believe, publicly broken up twice now, um, yeah, and... in in deletion of Instagram account and photos yeah. style, which is, you know, it's an official breakup. <laughs> uh, but the latest entry was uh, was them next to a lake or something like that with a with a big rock uh, shown to the camera, and uh, yes, news that yeah. uh, that that they are engaged. So congratulations she, to them. She reached the semi final, then she. I mean, who even knew that Monfils was in America? Um, then they went on a road trip. That was the next Instagram update. There was a story, um, Instagram story, which featured two hands intertwined on a gear stick, uh, which was very romantic. Uh, so off they went on a um, on a road trip, and then and then they're engaged. And I wish them every happiness. Oh, fantastic! Okay, uh, so that's that. Right, doubles, uh, and they were belters. The doubles finals. I, I watched. I, I've been trying to work out why I don't watch more doubles on a tour week to week basis, and I, I mean, I think the reason is really because I don't follow the individuals 
that are in those teams very much. And because Dan Evans was one of the ones that was in the final, I was following that as a matter of course. I think the other thing is, we, we touched on it the other week, I think the fact that in Britain, now that Prime Video have the coverage and it's all on one platform and they're showing all of the doubles matches and they're right next to the singles matches and there's men's and women's, it's, a, it's, just, a, it's just there which helps. If you're on the platform, you end up having a look more easily, I think. Um, so that's good. But the the stories that were coming out and the, the matches that I was watching played, I, I was getting totally engrossed in, in, in these matches. I mean, just to give you a quick rundown, on the ATP side, Nikola Mektic and Matej Pavic won the title, beating Evans and Neil Skupski 6-4, 6-4. Didn't drop a set on the way. And they've had a fantastic year. I mean, they only they only got together this year, didn't they? And and who was it who won the ATP finals last year and then broke up? Mektic with Kulhoff. Yeah. Right, OK. And then Mektic has now joined up with his... His uh, compatriot, Pavic. So I think while it's their first season playing together, I suspect they, well, they've been Davis Cup teammates, haven't haven't they? And I suspect they know, they've known one another well for a while. Um, But uh, yeah, it's interesting. There are a lot more inter, no, what's the opposite of that? Um, There are a lot more um, national doubles partnerships I think partly because of Covid and being based in the same place uh, is a huge advantage from a practice perspective and I think also because of the Olympics and Olympic years definitely amp up my interest in doubles Mm. Uh, and I would say I quite like watching doubles matches that feature players from the same nationality I think that that is another little hook that you can you can get hold of and uh, and this year Mektic and Pavic have won Four titles, Antalya, the Murray River Open, Rotterdam, and now Miami. Only lost three matches out of 28 all year so far. And um, and they got to the Australian Open semi-finals, losing to the eventual champions, Dodig and uh, Polasek. So they look the business. And I don't always know what I'm looking for in doubles as to why players are really good and, and why not. I just find myself staggered by what what they're able to do that i mean i play a bit of weekly doubles and and i and i if i'm at the net i cannot react quickly enough to what's coming at me and it doesn't seem to matter how hard a singles player batters the ball at these guys they just continue going forward and and just closing down the net and um and some of the exchanges we were seeing were just wonderful, really, in that uh, final. Um, a good run for Skupski and Evans, who were playing their first tournament together. Skupski, you may remember, won the Acapulco title a couple of weeks back with his brother Ken, who's um, suffering from a blood clot in his leg at the moment, so he's not able to play. So get well soon to Ken. Um, and Pavic is now the world number one in uh, doubles. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's great to see a team like that come together and produce what they are. I just, I just want to get into it more often. And and I'm trying, and I've been trying to work out what would make me watch it more often. And I suppose it's just talking about it, making yourself do it, watching it. And you find yourself engrossed. Yeah. I think there are a few sort of really superficial things that could help. Um, CC Pam Shriver, uh, matching kits with their names on the back. A hundred percent. I know all the reasons why it's difficult. Get over them and just do it. Find a way. Um, I, do, I think 
um, congratulations to Matteo Pavic on being world number. But I do think having individual world number ones is problematic um, and confusing. I just think you need to simplify and streamline streamline it all. Um, obviously, that's um, that's complicated by the fact that there is so much chopping and changing, uh, seemingly increasingly much chopping and changing. But then maybe there would be less if you can only achieve success as a as a duo if you can only climb the rankings as a duo rather than individually there'd be more incentive to stick together i've always thought um, there should be a doubles draft like at the start oh. of the year where you know people yes. people select their partner for the yes. year i guess yes the thing i've never been able to work out is what you would do with injuries you know if, if someone gets injured how do you sort that out because players i mean that's why neil skupski's playing with dan evans as you said because ken's injured I, I don't know how you overcome that problem. And that is part of the reason why p- partnerships do change quite a lot. But I don't think it helps when the changes happen and they're just done completely behind closed doors. And there's very difficult to keep up with who's playing with who now. If it was clear, laid out at the start of the year, made, made a big thing of it, I think that would be a lot more exciting in a way yeah it's a way of selling the chopping and changing isn't it yes. rather than it just being a sort of behind the scenes all oh, right he's he's with him now okay um if 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 yeah if we accept that that's just the way doubles is now they are going to 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 chop and change then dress it up and put a hat on it and and make it fun yeah, I'm, I'm here for that, Matt. A draft is definitely an exciting sporting thing that tennis is missing. I'm, I'd still like to see more of a combination ranking and more requirement for singles players to play doubles, personally. I mean, that's, like I said, that's what ended up making me watch some of those matches and I, I discovered other ma- other players as a result. And I've asked um, a few of our... The thoughts of our listeners on Twitter. Uh, Sam says, incentives <laughs> for that star was going to be <laughs> <laughs> better no offense Pam uh, Sam says incentives for star players to play a big chunk of points won in doubles to be added to their singles points Maraid says there always seems to be an assumption that it's only interesting when top singles players are involved but that's not realistic they need to promote the players they have um, blah blah which is a fantastic Twitter name says encourage single nation partnerships when the Woodies were playing they were major celebrities in Australia and watching their matches was appointment viewing um, and Paul says, I'd like to hear more doubles talk on the pod. So here you are, you've got it. Um, and uh, uh, yeah, actually, uh, Lucy also says, Martin, Martin Hingis coming back to play doubles made me watch it all the time. Um, on the subject of top players playing doubles, I had a bit of a revelation uh, epiphany moment about that this week. I actually only want that if they do it like Dan Evans yeah, and I care agree. about it like Dan That's Evans. I think just incentivizing them to play doubles, which you know they'll pull out of if they do well in singles, because they don't really care. It's just a bit of extra practice. I, I kind of always thought I wanted that, you know, promoting the whole John McEnroe thing of why not play doubles rather than practice. But actually, you know, John McEnroe was someone that was pumped no matter what. I yeah, think. I mean, he, he was practicing, but he was wanting to win yeah exactly so if you can i was into it because watching dan evans be so into it was just flipping great it's infectious yeah it totally infectious you know sports at its best when the stakes are high um so yeah i i've I, i do want the top players to play but only if they care yeah 
Um, on the women's side, it was won by the Japanese pair Shuko Ayoama and Ina Shibahara, who beat uh, Luisa Stefani and Hayley Carter of America. Stefani's from Brazil. Uh, another cracking final, which could have gone the other way because uh, Carter and Stefani were 5-2 up in the second set and then lost five games in a row. Um, again, some of the exchanges and the lobs, so much going on in that court. And, and at times I watch these doubles teams and wonder how are they getting the ball past them at all because it just doesn't feel like there's anywhere to go on the court that they can't reach yeah and i i think this is this is not definitive but some exhaustive research was done behind the scenes at at prime that uh ariyama is the shortest professional tennis player um that that we could find at at five five foot one amanda kurtzer was five foot two Mm. Um, and there's a couple of uh, doubles players that had a, a, a few rankings points that honestly I hadn't heard of that were five foot one and a half. Uh, but um, Shuko Aoyama is the the shortest at five foot one. Amazing. And, you know, it is just incredible that, that tennis takes all sorts. Physically. And her partner is quite tall. Mm, um, yeah. And yeah. there are 10 years difference between them. I watched more of the semi-final of the women's doubles when they beat Sviontek and Matek Sands. And there were some brilliant exchanges in that. Um, Ayoama going sort of toe-to-toe with, with Sviontek from the baseline. And personally, stylistically, I prefer women's doubles to men's doubles because I find the serve is, is really very dominant in men's doubles. You, you need a good returner to be able to get the ball past the volleyer at the net because of the speed of the first serves. And I think just just a personal preference, the way the rallies develop in women's doubles, I I tend to prefer. And Ayoama and Shibahara were the perfect example of that. Sort of all-court tennis, really interesting to watch. And uh, they seem to be on the rise. I think, they're, I think they're leading the race this year ahead of the Australian Open champions and finalists. Mm, three titles for them this year and in an Olympic year and a Japanese Olympic year, that's absolutely massive for them. Yeah, uh, The the two other uh, partnerships ahead of them are, or, or that were or that are with them is uh, it's Krejcikova and Siniakova and the Australian Open champions Mertens and Sabalenka who aren't going to be playing much, I don't think, are they this year? Because uh, Sabalenka wants to concentrate on the singles. Um, by the way, Stefani and Carter, one thing that struck me as well is just watching them in the, the on-court interview afterwards. And Carter was was really, really emotional and talking about how she used to come and, and dream about playing this tournament when she was a kid, you know. And, and uh, I think Stefani said she, she wanted to be a ball girl at the tournament when she was when she was young and she didn't quite make the grade and yet here she is now on the court in the final you know and they were they were so appreciative of the opportunity to play um and to be on this stage and uh yeah great story that they got to the final and just uh, edged out in the end so we'll keep a keep an eye on how they get along um they were in their seventh final with Stefani and Carter, and they're fourth in the in the race so far this year. Right now, Roland Garros might not be happening, according to uh, Lequipe, 
Uh, Chris Clary on Twitter from the New York Times has been talking about how a second straight postponement of the French Open is now a real possibility. The French sports minister says that she's in discussions with the French Tennis Federation because France is struggling with with controlling the coronavirus and with a slow vaccine rollout. I mean, Chris says himself, you know, where are you going to put the French Open if it's postponed this time? Because... The Wimbledon looks like it's going ahead. Everything else looks pretty much on. Where would I think you stick it? The answer it? is wherever they damn well like. If we've learned <laughs> anything from last year, yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Although, <laughs> I mean, although it was possible to make a land grab last year, wasn't it? Because there was so much uncertainty, they just got in there first. But I think this year it would be a lot harder, wouldn't it? Surely. And they were able to create a swing with other. Mm postponed clay court events um i suspect this uncertainty over the french open is disastrous for monte carlo uh, stuttgart uh, madrid rome um other other events as well um puts them all at sea um yeah i mean we hear rumors that indian wells is 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 potentially um, looking for a date later in the calendar to try and go ahead. Um, so they might be getting nervous that the French Open will grab some land that they had their eyes on. I don't know. I mean, I'm on the edge of my seat about what the FFT <laughs> might do. <laughs> I've turned on Twitter notifications for Roland Garros. I'm not going to be caught do- out like I was last year. I would say that, you know, the Paris Masters, which is indoor went ahead last year with France in lockdown. Mm. I mean, maybe yeah. they consider that a mistake and they they wouldn't want to do that again, but... And would they go ahead be literally behind closed doors, I wonder? Because they had a thousand in yeah. time. Yeah, and, and can, can, they afford, can they afford to be behind closed doors twice? Yeah, I guess is, is the question. Um, Fingers crossed. But can they can Maybe they afford not to? You know, yeah. there's there's the stat wasn't there about how much money the Australian Open lost. I think hundred million Australian dollars, but then that had to be put in contact in context with this with the fact that they would have lost more had it not gone ahead. Yeah. So, goodness me, I am glad I'm not in any position of uh, authority. Yes, at the no, FFT absolutely. or the French Open. Absolutely. Tough times. Um, four, four events going on this week. We will round them up in next Monday show. There's the WTA 500 event in Charleston with Ash Barty, Sophia Kenning, Garbinia Magarutha, lots and lots of players playing that, Kvitova and uh, Coco Goff as well. Bogota is taking place. Clara Towson's in that, uh, the WTA 250, so I'm definitely watching that. Uh, there's the ATP 250 event in Sardinia, uh, possible Dan Evans against Lorenzo Massetti in round two, Catherine. We'll be, we'll be there for that. Yep. Uh, for that. And there's a 250 as well in Marbella uh, with Fanini and Corinna Buster, Casper Rude all playing that. Uh, the reason we're not going to be doing uh, an update show on Thursday is because we've got something else planned for Thursday. Unless there's Gems Life news. Oh, well, obviously, in, in case <laughs> everything is all, is off, you know, for us to, to cover that for at least an hour. Um, but uh, no, we've got a special show planned on Thursday, uh, an interview that Catherine did earlier in the year with Esther Vergeer, who is one of the greatest athletes of all time 
in terms of the the success she has had the the winning streak she had i was listening today she put together the second longest winning streak in sporting history as far as we're aware 470 matches in a row won in wheelchair tennis and uh I listened to this interview this morning. It really is fantastic, and um, and I can't wait for you all to hear it. On Thursday, we're going to have a special show that will build around that um, and really shine a spotlight on on her remarkable career. Um, we also have a mascot for this week, which is Clancy, a seven-month-old mini poodle who lives in Seattle and is owned by Amy. Have we seen photos of Clancy yet? Yep, I've stared at them at length. Uh, I'm really into... I know I say this every week. I'm really into Clancy. Um, (laughs) um, Clancy's got more than a little bit of Billie Jean about her. Excellent. Um, Uh, Talking Billie Jean. gorgeous. Right, well, news of Clancy and pictures in the newsletter this week, so make sure you sign up to that. Uh, Scan down in your show notes. If you don't know where the how to get on the newsletter list just go down in your show notes click on the link there and uh, and stick your email address in and we'll send you the newsletter in a couple of days time billy jean king is sponsoring billy jean the dog uh, matt's mascot is scouse of mousel um they didn't do too well last week in the predictions neither did rogue and i despite our valiant attempts with sebastian corder uh, catherine and zeus were just awful uh, we were let down by a self self explosion. Yes, you were. Uh, but congratulations to Daryl, who correctly predicted uh, Ash Barty would win the title. So, this is the man that predicted France would win the ATP Cup. And we're being shown <laughs> up by him. <laughs> uh, Chris Albert Lee is our executive producer and a top bloke. And our shout outs, Matt, are David Mayery. All right, Dave. Oh, how you doing? This this is what would happen if David and Mary had a baby. <laughs> Next that's, one, not Matt. How, that's not how you name your babies, is it? No. My name, your name. Done. <laughs> Matt, who else we got, please? <laughs> We've got Julie Quinn. Right, Julie. Safe territory with Julie Quinn. Julie's awesome. Like Dr. Quinn, medicine woman. Correct. Anybody used to watch that? Nope. But no. Julie, no. I'm delighted Matt wasn't born, but I loved it. Excellent. And finally, Caroline Alcock. All right, Caroline. Hello, Caroline. I'll stick with your first name um, because I've <laughs> already led everybody astray here. Uh, lovely name. I often get mistaken for a Caroline when people get my name wrong uh, in print or just everywhere, really. I'm always mistaken for a Caroline. Caroline, do you ever get mistaken for a Catherine? Mm, That's what I want to know. Yeah, let us know. No, she can't answer. Uh, anyway, but thanks ever so much for your support. Uh, and thank you all for listening. Leave us an iTunes review if you've enjoyed the show. Uh, tell your friends about us so that they can enjoy it as well. And uh, we'll speak to you on Thursday with Esther Vergeer. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to healthcare, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Planning for your next trip? 
Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.